Well, good morning. How are you? Are you awake? I got a strict no sleeping policy when I teach. I'll call you out. Is anyone sleeping right now? I've always wanted to do that thing where I'm like, shh, and then we all like get around a person, and then on the count of three, like scream to wake them up. And you guys can make like a TikTok out of it. We all go viral. And that just becomes our job. We just scare sleeping people. What do you think? You in? You down? That's weird. Uh, I hope that you guys had a, an awesome night. Um, just so you know, the day in front of you is an awesome day. It's your, your first and kind of only full day of camp. You have an incredible day ahead of you. Are you excited about that? Because uh, this is like, this is it, man. This Saturday at camp is one of my favorite things to watch you guys get to. you got like broom hockey. You've got all these different things you can do. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to continue on in our, our talk. If you remember last night, if we kind of recap last night, the takeaway was the sixth wealthiest man to ever exist, worth $2.1 trillion, with 1,000 wives, ate all the best food, drank all the best wine, did everything anyone could ever want to do, writes a book where he tells us that ain't all it's chopped up to be. And at the end of that book, if you remember the end of my talk last night, we realized why he's able to say this wasn't worth it. And the reason that Solomon states, as we talked last night, the reason he says this isn't worth it is because he he knew God. He says, in comparison to fearing God, which for the sake of our time together, to fear God is to have a reverence, is to say like, it's one thing to believe in God, right? It's, it's one thing to go like, yeah, something doesn't come from nothing. Obviously, there's a creator, but it's an entirely another thing to go like, that God has a name, that God has character, that God has a story, that God loves you, and if you believe that part of, of this, then that demands your life reflect that you believe that, right? Did you, did you know that like some 70% of people who have heart attacks do not change their lifestyle, right? The same thing is true of Christians, by the way. Like 56% like, uh, of, of the world today identifies as like the Christian faith, so the majority of humans today would, would identify with the things we're talking about. Yes, I believe in God, Jesus, all those things. Well, then why doesn't our world look like half of it actually believes in the gospel message? It's because there's a difference between knowing and knowing about. It's one thing to know God, to, to know him intimately, and it's another thing to know about God as though he's a subject or your favorite car or favorite celebrity. And what Solomon begins to do for us is he begins to draw a comparison between like knowing what's right but still living how you want and knowing what's right and actually living as though you believe that that's true. And so that was, that was kind of last night. This morning we're going to jump into chapter 2. And chapter 2 uh, gives us a little bit more of this story. I'll read for you and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. So we're going to read... Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting at verse 1. You with me? Yes. Is any, can we do our sleeping prank yet? Oh, almost her. Almost gotcha. She was out. She was falling asleep. Okay, here we go. As I read, don't fall asleep, okay? 
Is that fair? Are we clear on the sleeping policy this morning? You guys are already out. Okay, here we go. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born into my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, and the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. God, we come before you this morning praying that you'd speak to our hearts. God, help us to begin to see the comparison between you and everything else. Help us to see your goodness, your love, your grace, your mercy, and and what a stark comparison that is to anything and everything else that this world could offer. Would you be gentle with us this morning as we talk about the, the futile pursuits of our hearts and the things that get us so distracted and off track? And would you remind us of the sweetness of your grace and mercy? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in chapter 2, Solomon begins to point out that he went after things. Like it was an active pursuit of things that were not God. And he did so with a heart that desired fulfillment, that desired meaning and desired purpose. And as we just read in those first 11 verses, at the end of it, he tells us yet again, it didn't work. Now, there's, there's two types of people in this world. There's one type of person that can hear a passage like this and go, done, right, got it, follow God. You just saved me a lot of headache and a lot of heartache in this world. Trust you, I'm going to go for it. The other type of person, and, and this is most certainly where I fit, is the type of person that has to learn the hard way. Anyone like that? You just have to learn the hard way? Yeah, my, my kids and I, we went to this janky little zoo just down the road from here called the Cat Haven. And we're at the Cat Haven, and my kids were really little. This is like 10 years ago. And we go to the Cat Haven, and we went to the Cat Haven like six months after a lion had, had like eaten and killed one of the like workers at the Cat Haven. If you're wondering my parenting style, it's that. That is how I parent. I'm like, we got to go check this place out. This is going to be great. Half off. Let's do it. What could go wrong? And so we cruise into Cat Haven, and we get to the lion enclosure, and no one would, like, tell us that this was the lion, you know? But I had a feeling this was the lion. And you'd think after an animal attacked and killed a woman that they would reinforce the fences. No, this was just, like, your average chain-link backstop at, like, a Little League field. And we get over there, 
And my daughter, who's just like, she's like four and just the cutest thing you've ever seen, she runs up to the fence, puts her fingers through it, and it's like, here, kitty, kitty, here, kitty, kitty. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not a kitty, that's a lion, and I'm pretty sure it has a taste for human blood. Uh, and I go, hey, hey, Marmar, let's, you know, step away from the fence. And she goes, but dad, look at the lion. And I go, I am. That's why I'm saying step away from the fence, you know. And she goes, here, kitty, kitty, here. And I go, Marley, Marley, just stand back. There's like a little planter. You technically shouldn't be up on the fence in the first place. And she goes, but dad, the lion. And she turns. And as she turns to look at me, the lion pounces at the fence right in front of where she was standing. And she freaked out. She started crying. She ran to me. And I was like, this is what you get. I'm just kidding. I'm like, this is awful. You know, like, this is a terrible. Like, some of us have to learn the hard way. Some of us in life have to remember that, 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 that the enemy of God, his name is Satan, is described in 1 Peter like a roaring lion who seeks to steal and kill and devour. And we may hear that wisdom straight from God's word, yet still live lives that say, here, kitty, kitty, here, kitty, kitty, look how cool that lion is. Well, what is that lion for you? That lion could be a relationship. That lion could be an addiction. That lion could be an addiction to things like pornography, an addiction to things like sex, an addiction to things like substances. Maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol. It can be a life lived by defiance and a lack of respect to anyone who has authority over you in your life. And what we tend to do with these areas of our lives that God's word would clearly describe as sinful, and I'll unpack that for us in a moment here, what we do is we pretend that this thing that literally will kill us is cute when it's caged because it seems like it's under control. But the truth of the situation is, it is not under control. And it is eroding, and it is degrading, and it is ultimately killing you where you sit. Look at what Solomon says back here in chapter 2. Verse 1, he says, come now. It's almost like he's challenging himself. himself. He said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. It's, it's someone with a, like an Amex black card, like an unlimited spending limit on a credit card who just goes, let's see how much I can buy and make myself feel better about who I am. And he goes on in these verses, at the end of verse one, he says, but that also proved to be meaningless. I went for it. I did everything anyone could ever want to do. I did it. And, and guess what? Again, there's our word 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It was meaningless. Look at the types of things that he tries. Verse 2, he talks about laughter. He says, I, I, I tried to make myself laugh. The exact language he said is, is, laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? He thought making himself laugh could make himself feel better about the spiritual state of his soul. Verse 3, he talks about wine, alcohol. He goes, nope, not found there. Verse 4, he talks about the work that he did, the projects that he built, the, the, the orchards and the pools and all of these things. And he goes, it wasn't found in occupation. It wasn't found in work either. He then goes on to say in verses 5 through 8, remodeling his palace, gardening, more servants, livestock, gold, silver, singers, prostitutes wasn't found there either. 
If I were to derive a list for you of things that I have tried in my life that I thought would make me happy and didn't, my list wouldn't even be as long as Solomon's. I never had that money. I never had that riz. Like a thousand, I got lucky with one wife. Ain't no chance I'm having 300. You know what I'm saying? And he goes, no, no, no. Like I got, I got the desires of my heart. I got it. And what I'm trying to tell you, reader, is it did not satisfy. In fact, it was the opposite of satisfaction. It was sinful. It didn't satisfy me. It trapped me in sin. Now, sin is this funny word. Because sin is a word that is like a church word, as it should be. It's a word that has deep, deep meaning that, that kind of describes the spiritual state of, of why we can't seem to connect with God. I want you to understand, wherever you are on the spiritual spectrum, maybe you don't know God, maybe you're walking with Jesus, you have to have a firm understanding of, of what this concept of sin is, because ultimately this is what Solomon is unpacking for us. Sin is the opposite of God. We talked last night about God being holy, right? Meaning he's perfect. There is no one, there is nothing like him. God is set apart from all creation. Why? Because, well, he's the creator of it. God's not a created being. He's the creator of beings. That puts him in a league of his own. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. But he still loves you. Sin is the antithesis of that. Sin could be defined as, as any thoughts, any words, any deeds, any attitudes, or any actions that we produce in our lives that aren't perfect. Simply put, sin is any time we're not holy. And what Solomon is doing here in this chapter is he's letting us know that sin never satisfies. Sure, I'm sure it was awesome in some of these moments as he chases after laughter or wine or some of the things that he lists. Sure, I'm sure in the moment it was really fun. But in hindsight, as he looked back on his life, he realized actually it was futile. It was a, it was a waste of time. Now, there's a couple reasons that we fall into this trap of thinking that things can satisfy us. Maybe you're someone who just deeply desires to be liked because you've never felt loved, and so you'll do anything it takes to win the appreciation, to win the admiration of those around you. That would be sinful. Maybe you want to be loved so bad that you give yourself to anyone who shows interest. Solomon says, that didn't even do it for me. Maybe you want to cope with the pain of life and the story that you're living out right now uh, maybe you want to cope with that pain through self-medication. Maybe it's a vice, it's drinking, it's vaping, it's pornography, it's drugs. It's, it's any of those things that you would do to go, it just makes me feel better. I don't have to think about the pain. I don't have to process the pain when I do this. F friend, you're not giving yourself any benefit by coping with pain. Pain has to be healed. Like we don't mask pain and expect inner healing to happen in our lives, when we cope with pain, all we're doing is deferring the process of healing that can happen when we choose to face the pain head on and say, God, I invite you into this situation or this circumstance. Sin becomes this easy remedy that tricks us into thinking, I'll feel better about what's going on in my life if I do this. 
Over this summer, my mom died, and she had been on a cancer journey for about 10 years. And in May, it got really bad, and as a family, we realized, like, this is likely it for my mom. And so every week, I would go down to her house so my father could still work. On Wednesdays, I would stay the night, and I would caretake for her all day Wednesday, and I would stay the night, and then Thursday till lunch, and I would go home. And during that time, I I just really saw a different side of my mom. It was moments that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And everything came to a head in mid-July when when she took a turn and we realized she is no longer going to be here. And this is probably going to go over a lot of your heads, but if you've experienced what I'm going to describe for you, you'll relate to it instantly. She, She was in so much pain the last few days of her life that my prayers changed from God heal her to God take her because I couldn't bear it anymore. And at one point, my family was there, and we're all just like taking turns, helping to bathe her, helping to feed her, having to kind of force feed her medication because her motor skills were gone. It it was just like this surreal, oh, like that's my mom, you know? And then on July 18th, I held her hand as she passed and had to call a funeral home with an undertaker, not like the WWE undertaker, like the one where that guy gets his name from. And this guy shows up with a body bag and a stretcher. He puts my mother's body on the stretcher and he walked out the door. That was the last time I saw my mom. And death has this really weird thing of feeling so final. I knew I would never see her again, but so unfair because like a day ago, she was right here in this room. And for the two weeks after that, as we planned the funeral, my, uh, I, I run a nonprofit. That's my day job. My board was really kind to give me time off. And for those two weeks, I started dancing with the devil a little bit. I, I started going like, maybe I'll have one more drink. Maybe I'll be a little more short and grumpy. I have an excuse, like I'm grieving right now. And I noticed that as my guard dropped, All of these things that became temptations for me seemed so much more enticing. And after two weeks of just kind of this really weird, in the midst of grief, surreal kind of moment of my life, I had this aha moment where I went, this is is the time where I can make a decision to go, nope, it's going to be by God's strength that I get through this incredibly terrible situation, or this will be the moment that I look back on and go, that's kind of when I gave up. Sin was very enticing because I was hurting a lot. I was grieving. And I had to make the conscious decision to go, I know better. Friend, that's wisdom. Knowing what's right is knowledge. Doing what's right is wisdom. The invitation that Solomon is giving us in chapter 2 here is to say, hey, when life gets difficult, when you want to mask the pain with pleasure, that is sinful. Trust my wisdom. It's not going to end well for you. And in this room, I'm sure there are people whose parents have gotten divorced. In this room, I'm sure some of you have been mistreated, maybe even abused. In this room, there are some of you who have been through incredibly horrible, traumatic things. And all of that is heartbreaking and sad. But you have to know this about your life and and, and, and you have to know this about your story. You're in charge. You have to feel empowered to choose God or you can choose sin in those moments. And what Solomon is beginning to do for us is he's beginning to lay out his case to say, it's not going to end well. 
Let's talk a little bit more uh, about sin for a second. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what the Bible describes as sin and what Solomon is ultimately describing for us as a path that we can so choose to take. He tells us this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says in verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul, New Testament, don't get lost in the author's, at least for the sake of our conversation today, but Paul's writing to a church and he's trying to help them understand who they were before they met God. And as he does so, he talks about this idea that before God became the central figure of the lives of the church in Ephesus, they were dead in their transgressions and sins. Friend, it's the same thing that's true of you. If you have not put your faith in Jesus and begin to follow him with your life, you too are described as what Ephesians 2.1 says. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. Now you might be sitting there going like, dude, I ain't dead. You're crazy. I'm at camp. What are you talking about? If you're really out there, you might be going, am I dead? What is this? Like, what's going on right now? No, this concept of death is a spiritual death. It's a separation Meaning, you, you don't have the ability to connect with God because this sin has robbed you of any sort of spiritual life. It says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. About two years ago for my birthday, my wife bought me a turtle. His name was Gil. And this turtle was awesome. He was like this big. And I had just started my own company and working from home in my home office and I'm a social butterfly and I had nothing to do and no one to talk to in terms of coworkers. And so my wife bought me a turtle. And so me and this turtle, we hit it off. We were fast friends, right? Like maybe some of you have that best friend where you're like, I don't even remember how we met. And look at us, so you're going to be in my wedding, right? Anyone know that feeling? Yeah, that was me and this turtle, all right? It was my homie. He was my bestie, my buddy boy. And about six months into owning this turtle, I was away uh, teaching at a camp and my wife calls and she goes, hey, I got bad news for you. The turtle seems sick. He's just laying under his heat lamp. He's not moving. I start crying. Why, God? I'm just kidding. I was like, oh, that's, that's a bummer. I'll be home tomorrow. We'll check it out. So I get, home, I get home the next day, and this turtle, actually, he wasn't sick. He was dead. Yeah, baking under a heat lamp in my office. Smelled terrible. Turtle's supposed to be green. It was brown, right? Like... Like, where are your eyes? What's happening? What is this fluid seeping out of your shell? Like that kind of dead, right? I, I want you to understand. That's what the word dead means here. It doesn't mean lost. It doesn't mean a little off track. It means dead. It means there's no life in you. You're separated. There's no hope. Kind of how I shared with you the story of my mother. Like, uh, there was never a moment as they're wheeling her lifeless, precious body out of the room where I go, I'll see her again soon. Oh, I'll see her again in heaven. But I knew in that moment, she's not here anymore. The way Paul writes about sin is very much in those terms. As for you, you were dead. He says in verse 2, in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says, hey, you were dead because you pursued sin and not God. You began to live a life that was supposed to be filled with pleasure, that would give you joy and purpose and meaning, and all it left you with was death. You had nothing left. Verse 3 says, 
All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires. Like the rest, we were by nature children deserving of wrath. Friend, this is, this is where we are apart from the love of God in our lives. Like that turtle baking under a heat lamp, we are dead. We are separated. And what we tend to do is we tend to try to fill our lives to mask that separated, lonely feeling that so many of us go through life experiencing with things, with money, with toys, with relationships, with drugs, with alcohol, with all these different things. And I realize I may be getting repetitive, but that's exactly what Solomon is trying to warn us against. This is not going to satisfy you. There's a, a couple verses in the book of Romans that I think are so helpful for us to begin to understand this concept of sin a little more. And if you've been around church, they're probably very familiar for you, but let me read these to you. The first one is Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, another word could be holiness of God. Every person who's ever lived has fallen short of the holiness of God, except for one person. Jesus. Everyone who's ever lived has fallen short of God's holiness, of God's glory. Romans 6.23, a page over, would say it this way. For the wages of sin is death, separation. Anyone in here have a job? What's your job? Hostess and social media manager. All right, very professional. Okay, hostess and social media manager. Nurse. Nurse, love it. Yeah. What? What is that? Oh, right on, dude. Way to go. I didn't know what you said. Yeah. Love it. I like these official job titles. Like when I was your age, I was like, I don't know, I bust tables. You're like, I am a dishes aficionado with a expertise in China and fine silver. Awesome. Love it. You're a busboy. Cool. Uh, yeah, right here. Yeah. Our teacher, Bible teacher, right on. I'm a gymnastics coach. You're a gymnastics coach. Awesome. So what's your name? Grace. Grace. Okay, so Grace, how long are your shifts at the gymnastics gym or studio? I don't know what the word is. Uh, depends on the day. Average. Three, four hours. All right, so Grace works for four hours as a gymnastics coach. What do you make per hour? $16. Six, not bad. What grade are you in? <laughs> What grade are you in? I'm a sophomore. A sophomore making 16 bucks an hour? Way to go. And so how often do you get paid? Every two weeks. Every two weeks. All right. So Grace works as a gymnastics coach, average shift three to four hours, 16 bucks an hour, gets paid every two weeks. Okay? So she'll work a full day trying to wrangle these flexible little kids flipping on bars and stuff, right? And, and trying to help them not hurt themselves, which I'm sure is very stressful. And she gets done, and two weeks later, she shows up to collect her paycheck. Why? because she worked for it. She is now owed a wage for that hard work that she did. What Romans 6.3 is communicating to us is that the wages for the work of sin that our lives apart from God are producing, the thing that's owed to us as a result of that, the thing that we are earning is death. It's separation. Now, what do dead things need? 
What does something that's dead need? Think about it this way. My turtle, Gil, may he rest in peace. Right? Yeah? Uh, I go in my office. I find him dead and, and baking under the heat lamp. Would it make sense for me to give him water in that moment? Would it make sense for me to cut up strawberries? It was his favorite snack. Huh? Would it? No. Would it make sense for me to carry his lifeless, gray, nasty body out onto my front yard and let him walk around like he used to do? Would that make sense? Why? Because he's dead. This is precisely what Solomon is communicating for us. Hey, trying to cope with the pain of life through giving yourself pleasure is not going to satisfy because the spiritual state for those of you who are not yet found in Christ is death. It will never satisfy. It's never going to bring you life. It's as silly as me giving water to my dead turtle. It doesn't need water. It needs to be resurrected. It needs to be revived. The second half of Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You notice the two words there, death and life? The wages of sin is death, but God wants to give us a gift of life that can only be found in Jesus. This is what Solomon is telling us. Hey, none of the things this world had to offer me gave me life. Only my relationship with God was able to do that. Now, you might be opposed to this view. You might be thinking, listen, man, I am not a horrible person, and I'm certainly not dead. In fact, statistics would agree with you. A recent survey study found that one in two people believe that they're the best people they know. That means this half thinks you're the best person on earth, this half doesn't. It goes on to say that a recent survey of 2,000 U.S. residents, 81% of them believe that humankind is inherently good. So 81% of the world today, of, of the United States rather today, believes that the world is inherently good that humans are naturally good. Three and four believe that they themselves are fundamentally a good person. While this platitude is kind and could spark joy for the hope of humanity, it's simply not true when we read scripture. Because if 81% of the world was inherently good, this world would look drastically better than the way that it does. If one in two people were the best people they know, this world would look incredibly different. It would be more kind, more caring, and more loving. So what then is the issue? The issue is sinfulness. And as Solomon is telling us in Ecclesiastes, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. It was meaningless. It afforded me and offered me nothing. Now, what's the point of my talk today? First off, my goal was not to make everyone in here feel bad about who they are. Nor was my goal to tease at some of the struggle and story that you may be living out. But if those things happened, I'm very much a believer that God convicts us of things not to shame us, but to heal us. So maybe you're in this room and you're a Christian and you're going, dang it, we talked about sin and I'm acutely aware now of the way that I've been living and how it's opposed to the gospel message that I put my faith in. Friend, to you I would say, let's confess that sin today. 
The Bible tells us that when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. The other group in this room that could be hearing this talk may realize, okay, I'm I'm in. I've actually tried some of the things that Solomon's talking about, and I too have realized like it only leaves me wanting more, and so maybe sin is the answer to this. What can I do? Well, remember, Romans 6.23 says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dead things don't need to make themselves feel better through doing good deeds. Dead things don't need to make themselves feel less pain through coping with it. Dead things need to be resurrected. And that, my friend, is precisely what God has done for us. We'll talk more about that tonight. But as we wrap up our time together, I wanted to just leave you with a question similar to how I did last night. And the question is, Have you filled your life with things that are sinful, hoping that they'll give you life? Have you filled your life with things that are sinful, hoping that they'll give you life? To the believer, I would say, if your answer to that question is yes, you can repent of that and confess that, and and we can start over afresh today. To those of you who haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, if you would say, actually, I think I have, Man, tonight I'm going to share with you the greatest news I've ever heard in the gospel. And, and it essentially is this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Solomon gave us wisdom. When he said, hey, I tried all these things and it did not satisfy. In fact, it left me feeling worse off. I think that's good wisdom for us to apply to our lives. Let's learn the easy way on that one and not the hard way. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these students and for, Lord, just a really tough topic. And God, as I teased on some of the things that go on in our lives and some of the ways that we try to make ourselves feel better, maybe some of us have actually fallen victim to other people's sin. Lord, I pray that you would care for us in in those moments and in those realizations. Jesus, as you said, that we can come to you for you are gentle and lowly in heart. Father, for any of us that are wrestling with this concept of sin today, would we experience your gentleness as we process that? Maybe maybe some of us need to take a bold step and confess to a friend or a counselor, hey, I actually have been sinning and here's where it is. Lord, help us to shine light on those dark parts of our lives. And maybe others of us here today are going, man, I actually never thought about this, but it, it, it seems as though this could be true and that's why I feel no meaning or purpose in my life because it's void of it without God. Man, Lord, would you convict us and begin that, that, that resurrecting that you do in so many people's hearts through your gospel message. Would today we just be wrestling with those big life questions? Who am I? What am I here for? And where do I go when I die? God, we love you. I pray for safety and a spirit of absolute fun and joy over these students as they do all the awesome things that they have in front of them. We love you so much. Amen.